News Nation This Hour, I'm Vic Vaughn. Senate Democrats in Washington are shifting priority this week from President Biden's, for now, stalled Build Back Better plan to a pair of voting rights measures. News Nation's Joe Khalil reports. The first one is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And what that does is it restores the power to the Department of Justice to approve or reject laws that states make about their elections. And this goes all the way back to civil rights, when uh, there were clearly some southern states that were making laws that were discriminatory toward black voters, the DOJ could come in and stop that. The second is the Freedom to Vote Act, which would make Election Day a federal holiday, guarantee mail-in ballots for all voters, and block states from replacing election officials. Millions of senior citizens facing a big premium increase this year for Medicare coverage may not see one after all. The federal government today ordered Medicare to reassess that increase, which was largely due to Biogen's pricey new Alzheimer's drug, Aduhelm. But Biogen cut that price tag in half. The health department thinks that's cause for Medicare to rethink its recommended premium increase. Pope Francis has officially urged followers to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Pope Francis suggests getting vaccinated against the coronavirus is a moral obligation and denounces how people have been swayed by what he calls baseless information. Francis has generally shied away from speaking about vaccination in such a way, but now he says individuals have a responsibility to care for themselves and he says this translates into respect for the health of those around us. I'm Charles Duladesma. Hollywood's biggest party, the Golden Globe Awards, and its typical viewership of 18 million was reduced to a live blog last night. The AP's Julie Walker. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story won several big awards. Best Picture Comedy or Musical. Best Actress. Best Supporting Actress. Netflix's The Power of the Dog won Best Picture Drama. Best Direction and Supporting Performance. Other film winners included Will Smith for King Richard, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm Julie Walker. The New York Yankees will reportedly name Rachel Balkovic as manager of the Tampa Tarpons. The AP Shelley Adler. The 34-year-old joined the Yankees organization as a hitting coach in 2019, making her the first woman with that job full-time in affiliated baseball. She'd now become the first woman to manage a minor league baseball team. 
Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and the News Nation Now app. I'm Vic Vaughn. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Simon Marks. We have no intention to invade Ukraine. That's Deputy Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov speaking after eight hours of talks with U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman. The Russians say the talks were difficult. The Americans call them frank and forthright and insist the Russian call for Ukraine to be barred from ever joining the NATO alliance is a non-starter. But White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the Russians have agreed to take part in multilateral talks that will include Ukraine and NATO members later this week. These talks uh, were frank uh, that, uh, and forthright. There are two paths for Russia to take at this point, for President Putin to take. He can take the path to diplomacy. There's two more rounds of talks this week. We've seen them as a package of three, which I think they also reiterated from their side. Uh, Or there's a path of escalation. We are certainly hopeful that uh, the path to diplomacy is the path uh, that they will take. Another political earthquake in British politics tonight. The country's television network ITV has revealed that one of Prime Minister Boris Johnson's top officials invited more than 100 people to attend a Downing Street garden party last May at a time when social mixing was severely restricted by lockdown regulations. Kevin Hollingrake is a lawmaker with the Prime Minister's Conservative Party. Clearly rules have to be followed and they should have been followed and we need to look at this not just from a a personal context but also work context but nevertheless Rules should be followed. If there haven't been, there should be consequences. The CEO of the pharmaceutical giant Pfizer says his company is working on a vaccine to target the Omicron variant of COVID-19. He says Pfizer has already started manufacturing it. From FSN's bureau in San Francisco, Rachel Silverman reports. Pfizer CEO Albert Borla says the hope is the new vaccine will provide better protections against infections compared to current vaccines which have proven effective in protection against hospitals hospitalizations and severe disease. He says the company is working to distribute the Omicron-specific vaccine soon. This vaccine will be ready in uh, March. Uh, I don't know if we will need it. I don't know if and how it will be used. But we'll be ready. Moderna is also working on a booster that targets Omicron. Rachel Silverman, San Francisco. Officials in New York have adjusted the death toll from Sunday's apartment fire in the Bronx. They now say 17 people died in the blaze, which they say was caused by a faulty space heater. Robert Durst, an American property magnate convicted of murder in the U.S. last year, has died in prison in California at the age of 78. He was serving a life sentence for murdering a longtime friend who prosecutors believe helped Durst cover up the disappearance and death of his wife. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Today, the Serbian perspective on Novak Djokovic, the world's number one men's tennis player. He's challenging the Australian authorities after he sought to enter the country even though he has not been vaccinated against COVID-19. While so many around the world have been critical of Djokovic, in his native Serbia, he remains a national hero. Brent Sadler is a former correspondent with CNN and ITN, and he now lives in Belgrade, where protests in support of Djokovic took place late last week. We've had some uh, outside parliament, yes, complaining about the Australian's attitude towards Djokovic, that he's been humiliated, his father likened... uh 
uh, Djokovic's scenario to that of Jesus Christ. So, you know, you've got extreme views here. I play tennis. Uh, I've seen Djokovic often rub shoulders with him on the courts. Can you believe it? This sort of level of player. He's very accessible here in, in Belgrade. And he, you can talk to him about uh, the health. You can talk to him about the uh, inoculation program. You can talk to him about why he doesn't want to do it. He does not want to take it for his own body issues. He does, he's been very strong about that. But he does not in any way wish to influence others mm. in terms of following what his choices are. They're his personal choices. There are, of course, many who argue that he should be using his fame to promote COVID-19 vaccines and at the very least push back at the notion that he's a champion of the anti-vax movement. The main news again. Talks between the US and Russia today were frank and forthright, according to the White House. The Russians said they have no intention of invading Ukraine. It's been revealed that one of Prime Minister Boris Johnson's top officials invited more than 100 people to a Downing Street garden party last summer in the midst of lockdown restrictions. And the CEO of pharmaceutical giant Pfizer says his company is working on a vaccine to target the Omicron variant of COVID-19. And that is the latest feature story news. Simon Marks reporting.
Howdy, 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 ho! It is Monday, the 10th of January 2021. You're listening to Michigan Speak Out on News Source 1, Michiana. Two back to back deaths to start off the programming today. Yesterday, we lost Bob Saget from Full House. Some of you remember it from Fuller House. Others of you might be in the generation to remember, do you want the money or the mob? From 1 versus 100, the game show during the recession. Yes, Bob Saget is dead at age 65, found dead at a hotel room yesterday down in Florida. And from what I heard on the news today, um, on our podcast, he had done a, a two-hour stint and did a thank you on Twitter to those who came out to the show, but was found dead and haven't heard exactly what the cause was. Also, you're probably wondering, what's the other music for? Yes, those of you who are Remembrance and are maybe 45 or older, or more likely if you're 60 or older, will remember the name Dwayne Hickman, otherwise known as Dobie Gillis. Yes, Toby Gillis passed away today at age 87, Dwayne Hickman. Also, they said well-known uh, producer as well. Um, I remember seeing a reunion episode show uh, from the 80s or 90s that my one aunt um, had videotaped, and I got a chance to see that. Um, and I have a trivia question for you. If you are listening to the podcast, and if you know the answer, I don't have a prize, but you get bragging rights for knowing this. Who was David, or sorry, who was Dobie Gillis's best friend who did not like work? If you know who that is, who was Dobie Gillis's friend in the show who didn't like work? That's a little clue for you. And I think if you are somebody else that could look that up, you'll be like, I didn't know he did was that. Okay. So anyway, let me know on the replies for the post on the podcast channel. Well, from talking about death to something else let go and that is the Bears GM and the Bears coach are no more yes Nagy has been fired sorry I don't have a Donald Trump you're fired sound clip to put on here but both of them are adios see the door and don't let it hit you in the butt so as soon as we know who the new coach is we will let you know also, did you see any the special post that came yesterday? And I shared it today because Aaron Mishler didn't get a chance to do this. Yes, there are two bills going in the state Congress, state legislature on the House and the Senate side. And the Senate bill is just as absurd, I'm sure, as the House bill trying to revive the education standards for the state of Indiana. And by the way, tomorrow and Wednesday, we are going to be focused on the 
State of the State Address, which will be shared. Um, it's going to be 7 o'clock tomorrow night on our Facebook group. And then we're going to play the uh, State of the State Address in its entirety on our iRadio channel. And I hope I can get a chance to talk to somebody about this, uh, the, the what Governor Holcomb had to say. Um in his in his address, but back to the uh, the Senate bill by somebody that Aaron Schiller personally knows. So uh, let's read the absurdity of the proposal. All right, so let's go ahead and look at the post that was made on Facebook. It was posted by Hannah M. Cates, and I will agree this is a ridiculous bill, and to sign against this. And one of the people is Linda Rogers from this area of, of all things, is a co-author of this bill. This this is crazy. I'm going to read quotes and I'll put my interjections on it because I'm a former teacher, former GED instructor, elementary teacher, uh, sub. Um, I've done stuff for South Bend and Elkhart schools, sub for Concord. I think this bill is ludicrous. Senate Bill 167 says that teachers must post lesson plans and curricular materials in advance with sufficient time for parental review. That parents can opt out their child from any part of the curriculum and that the teacher will have to provide a different lesson plan for that child. That hard copies of course materials are not electronic, that, that are not electronic must be located in the office for parental review and that curriculum of the district will be determined by a committee composed of 60 parents and community members and 40% of educators. So 60% parents and community members and 40% educators and all members of the committee must be school board approved, but no requirement that a teacher be on the committee. I'm sorry. Teachers have a lot to prepare for. They don't have time to be able to co or make it friendly for one parent and then friendly for another parent. When you write lesson plans, unless that student is in special education with an IEP or an individualized education program specific for a special needs child, whether it be in typical handicapped classes or gifted and talented, teachers don't have time to say, okay, I got to make this doctor lesson plan for Sally, and then I got to do it for everybody else different. No, they don't have time for this. And to have an independent review board short of the school board and short of the principal is just ludicrous in my opinion. Yes, I understand there are certain situations you know, because of religious cover, you know, for like teaching sex ed, there's always been a waiver. Or, oh, I don't want my child to do it because of religious reasons, you know, so, like Jehovah Witness and all that. I get that. But this is just too much taxing on the teacher. If you think this is bad, it gets worse. Continuing on. It bans educators from repeatedly interacting with students on social-emotional issues without prior parental consent. For example, 
an educator will be forbidden from responding to a student who discloses, discloses that they're having suicidal thoughts if the student has disclosed this before and the teacher doesn't have the parent's permission to respond. I'm sorry. If a student comes to a teacher and has trust in that teacher and says, I feel depressed, I feel like committing suicide, that or I am being abused at home, that needs to be reported and addressed immediately from the school system. No questions asked. And as teachers, we are to respond for the safety and welfare of the child or children. No child should be left unassisted, especially if they are being abused or are depressed or are being bullied. That is wrong. This is a crackamating bill. In addition to that, the this lady, Hannah, Hannah M. Cates goes on to say something that just basically this bill, the Senate bill in Indiana House 167, throws 15 up to 12 to 15 years of world history out the window. The next bullets. As was discussed during this week's hearing on the bill, bans teaching the Nazis and other similar political parties were low of low sorry let me reread this again as was discussed during this week's hearing on the bill bans teaching the Nazis and similar political parties were of low moral character sorry Adolf Hitler was real folks I personally know of a lady who just died last year who was a Holocaust survivor. And I saw the tattoo. It existed, folks. You cannot avoid teaching what the Nazis and Adolf Hitler were responsible for. It is bullcrap. How many million, hundred thousands, thousands people were slaughtered? in World War II, and this bill wants to forget that because it might offend somebody? Come on. It existed. It needs to be taught. They say that teaching history needs to be taught to prevent that from happening in the future. Come on. The next bullet point that this lady says, many other bans and prohibitions on teaching listed below. Keep scrolling. The next bullet point, a penalty for being perceived to violate the law. A parent could file a complaint leading to the unpaid suspension, termination, and licensing revocation of the educator. This complaint need not be filed by a parent of a student in the teacher's class. There is not statute of limitations for filing a complaint or the next bullet and final bullet point that a librarian could be jailed for disseminating material deemed quote-unquote harmful. So basically, it's saying a similar situation to what happened in a current events class in Tennessee, if you watched CBSSN last week about a Tennessee teacher that got booted from the class, for talking about race relations openly with high school students and then showed 
a video of a black speech that seemed appropriate for the discussion involved and the teacher was fired, a similar situation could happen here in the state of Indiana. I'm sorry, have an open forum, bring parents involved in the said class if need be so that they're in the loop on what's going on. There's a lot going on. Yes, there are battles between both sides conservative and liberal, but my goodness, have an open discussion like we have here on New Source One between the liberals and the conservative sides. My goodness, makes whoever wants to come back to teaching not want to teach if this stuff gets banned or approved, I should say. Again, that is Senate Bill number 167 up for discussion in the state of Indiana. And Linda Rogers is one of the co-authors of the bill. Please, 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 please write to her. Tell her how absurd this is. Teachers, please share my podcast. This is crazy what this bill stands for and what it could mean of trying to pitch out history and doctor history. I'm sorry. Stand up against this thing. Slam this to the ground. Because this is just cock and bull. And it makes me mad. And it makes Aaron Mishler mad. And I support the Indiana State Teachers Association in banning this craziness. There's two bills. One in the House. And though I just read you with this, a summary bullet points of the Senate. Please fill that out. Slam this to the ground. Don't let it get approved. Contact Linda Rogers. Tell her how you think. This is absurd. You cannot alter history. You cannot throw away addressing the needs of students. Because the students' welfare is important in schools. And you just cannot just doctor lesson plans for every student to fit every need. That's too much work on the teachers. I agree. And I'm a former teacher myself. And I know what it goes into. And I understand that you have, you know, lesson plans that need to be doctored for GED teachers or HSE now. But you can't just make that work because it's too much work on the teachers. They have a lot to cope with. And you just can't not neglect students' needs. Well, I have a lot I've just spoke my piece about. I hope you can share this. I support Aaron Mishler. I support Hannah Cates, the NESD Teachers Association. Slam this bill. Whew! Well, I'm coming off my soapbox. We have a lot coming up here on Michigan Speak Out. It is cold out there, and it's going to be hard again on homeless. So when we come back, we're going next We'll go on to John Schaefer and then wrap things up with Happy and Whole and Him here on Michigan Speak Out. Please share this. And then tomorrow we'll go focus and Wednesday focus on what's happening with the State of the State Address, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. <laughs> on to something else. Continuing on the show. That's a stressor and a half. Be careful, it is cold out there.
This is John Schaefer uh, with a homeless topic this week that it has really been very bitterly cold and there are still homeless living outdoors in this extreme Arctic freeze that we've been having with temperatures that wind chills have been below zero for a few days and yet you will hear on the news that we need to bring in our pets but does anyone ever often mention or are concerned with bringing in our adults and our homeless teens and our homeless disabled adults um, it's just sad we often think more of our pets than our human beings now yes pets are very defenseless and they can't just go inside now the same can apply to humans they can't always go inside there are places that are closed, shelters are full, and some of them cannot survive and cope in a crowded shelter. They have high anxiety issues. They have trouble following rules, um, not just because they're stubborn, but often mentally incapable of following rules. I have experienced this myself with some homeless and they cannot just comprehend being told what to do. It doesn't even fathom into their thinking. All they feel is that they're being picked on. So please bring in the homeless also. Thank you. Today's episode is sponsored by Blackstone. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, January 10th. I'm Nyla Voodoo. Here's what we're following today. High-stakes talks over Russia's growing sphere of influence. Plus, a judge's striking sentencing in Georgia. But first, the Chicago Public Schools deadlock is today's one big thing. This morning, students in Chicago public schools are starting their fourth day with no classes. The teachers union, the school district, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot remain in a standoff over whether or not to conduct classes in person for the country's third largest school district. This is a debate playing out across the country, leaving students, teachers, and parents in limbo. Axios Chicago reporter Monica Ng has been following the back and forth and is here now with the latest. Hey, Monica. Hey, Nyla. Monica, there's been longstanding tension between the teachers union and the mayor's office that predates the pandemic. What are the sticking points here? 
The three main sticking points as of Sunday afternoon are whether or not kids should be able to learn remote or if they should have to be in school no matter what, whether testing should be opt-in or opt-out, and lastly, whether or not there should ever be any metric that would trigger the entire district to go remote. Why isn't remote school an option right now while the standoff is going on? That's a really great question because obviously there are districts all over the nation that are going remote. It seems to be a bit of a personality clash because Chicago Public Schools bought 100,000 laptops and started the school year early, seemingly in preparation for some sort of eventuality of remote. And yet that is just not something they will accept going to at all right now when we're seeing skyrocketing record-setting cases. Monica, this has become a huge story across the country. It's something people are talking about in Washington. Do you think this fight in Chicago is representative of what's going on between teachers and school districts across the country? I think to a certain extent it is. I mean, we obviously have similar parameters. We're in a surge. A lot of other places in the country are in a surge. But the strange thing is, in Chicago, our mayor does not want to do comprehensive testing, especially if it's in an opt-out basis. She said that parents should always be the ones who opt their children in. So we're different from Los Angeles, D.C., and New York in that way. Do we have any sense of knowing when this may end and kids can go back to school? Well, over the weekend, the Reverend Jesse Jackson stepped in to be an informal, uh, honest broker, as he called himself. And there are, you know, three sticking points that are left. But many people hope that by midweek, we may either be back in school remote or in person. But right now, as of Sunday, when we're talking, they're still pretty deadlocked on some big issues. Axios Chicago's Monica Ng. Thanks, Monica. Thank you. In 15 seconds, we're catching you up quick on Russia, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine. Veterans offer talent, dedication, and proven leadership skills, and Blackstone is committed to helping them channel these qualities into meaningful careers that make our company stronger. Learn more about our hiring efforts at blackstone.com veterans. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Russian and U.S. officials are meeting today for high-stakes talks in Geneva. On the agenda is concern over a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. And now further complicating the situation are deadly protests in Kazakhstan that have left at least 164 people dead and thousands detained in the last few days. That's led to deployment of Russian troops to Kazakhstan across its southern border. Axios World Editor Dave Lawler is here to catch us up quick on all of this. Hi, Dave. Hi, Nyla. I just listed a lot going on in that part of the world. What's top of mind for the U.S. when it comes to talks in Geneva today? The U.S. focus is still very much on avoiding a crisis in Ukraine. They've really put out a red alert that Russia could move across the border into Ukraine. There could be an invasion. These talks are part of the U.S. effort to really avoid that outcome. But they're still very high stakes, as you mentioned, because there's concern that really there's not that much common ground between the U.S. and Russia on this issue. And if these talks break down, it could actually be a Russian pretext to move forward uh, with you know, an invasion in Ukraine or some further act of aggression toward Ukraine. So yes, quite high stakes talks going on in Geneva, even as the situation in Kazakhstan continues to unfold. And what happened in Kazakhstan? How is it that so many people have died and thousands are also detained in protests against the government? 
So this started last weekend with these fuel protests. The price of fuel spiked. There were protests that spread around the country. But really, the middle of last week, you had really violent scenes in Almaty, the main city in Kazakhstan. There's an internet blackout, so we don't know exactly what took place. But basically, the government was spooked enough that they decided to ask this Russian-backed security alliance to bring in troops. So they have foreign troops right now helping to secure the situation, which adds another dynamic that the U.S. is certainly watching. The last time we talked about this was after President Biden and Vladimir Putin had this hours-long phone call. How has all of this changed things now? Well, now you have President Putin kind of trying to rerun the 90s. He wants NATO to push further back. He wants to quite explicitly reassert Russia's influence in neighboring countries. You know, this is a conversation that has been ongoing for years, obviously, but Putin seems to think he can push this agenda forward at the current moment with the threat of an invasion of Ukraine looming in the background. And obviously the Biden administration is pushing back and saying, you know, basically Russia can't choose the politics of the countries around it. If those countries want to be part of NATO, if they want to look toward the West, that's their prerogative. It's not up to Russia. And so uh, this is something that I suppose has been looming out there for 30 years now, what are relations between Russia and the West going to look like? But they're certainly being magnified with the threat of 100,000 Russian troops on the Ukrainian border. I think the big picture is in Ukraine Can the U.S. and Russia come to some sort of accommodation that averts a crisis uh, in the next few weeks? I mean, this is really the most urgent scenario for the U.S. This has become issue number one for Joe Biden, as opposed to, let's say, China and other things that he might want to be focusing on. Dave Lawler is Axios's world editor. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nyla. You probably saw the news that on Friday, three white men were sentenced to life in prison for the murder of 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery. Arbery, a Black man, was chased and gunned down while jogging in a Georgia neighborhood in 2020. The three defendants are also scheduled to appear in federal court next month in another trial on charges of hate crimes and attempted kidnapping. Friday sentencing was unusual. Chatham County Superior Court Judge Timothy Walmsley early on asked for a minute of silence to represent a fraction of the approximately five minutes Ahmaud Aubrey spent running and fearing for his life. So we wanted to play some of what the judge said after that, because the tone, tenor, and thoughtfulness of his message is striking a chord with a lot of people. We are all accountable for our own actions. Sometimes in today's day and age, that statement is lost upon many. And today, the defendants are being held accountable for their actions here in Superior Court. Today demonstrates that everybody is accountable to the rule of law. Taking the law into your own hands is a dangerous endeavor. I'm not sure how this comes across, saying anyway. I think ultimately, with regard to the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, it it holds us all accountable. I've read somewhere, and I don't remember where it was, that at a minimum, Ahmaud Arbery's death should force us to consider expanding our definition of what a neighbor may be and how we treat them. I argue that maybe a neighbor is more than the people who just own property around your house. I believe that is, I also believe that in assuming the worst in others, we show our worst character. Assuming the best in others is always the best course of action. 
And maybe those are the grand lessons from this case. That's it for us this Monday. If you want to send us feedback, you can always drop us an email. It's podcasts at axios.com, or you can message me directly on Twitter, or you can text me. The number's in the show notes. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Veterans serve our country with talent, dedication, and proven leadership skills. At Blackstone, we're helping them channel these qualities into meaningful careers. We're committed to providing veterans and their families with training and resources to grow their careers over time because we know that supporting the veteran community will contribute to a better future for our companies. Visit blackstone.com veterans to see how veterans make our businesses stronger. Greetings. I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. We just celebrated the Christmas season in Epiphany, the coming of Jesus into our world. 1 John 3.8 says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So if our Lord Jesus came to earth to bring destruction to the devil's work, then as Christians there are at least two things we need to be aware of during our brief stay here on planet earth. First. The Christian's ultimate enemy is the devil. Pastor Joel, this is obvious. Well, I'm not so sure that this is our testimony to the unbelieving world. Friends, our enemy is not a political figure, a foreign country, that person who cut us off in traffic, the offensive blogger, our co-worker, or our neighbor. Isn't our nation, aren't our communities so divided? I want to encourage us to be the very first to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we can do this. Why? Because we recognize that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.11 When we go about our week, we need to be keeping in mind the greater spiritual reality. You see, there is this supernatural cosmic conflict that predated us and our world. And since Genesis 3, mankind is the battlefield in which this war, this cosmic war is being waged. Do you realize every person you meet is either a tool in the hand of the devil or a beloved child of God in Christ? John actually says as much in verse 10 when he divides mankind up into those two groups, children of God and children of the devil. In Western culture, we tend to be much less aware of the spiritual world. C.S. Lewis commented, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and an unhealthy interest in them. I would suggest we lean towards category one, perhaps not disbelieving, but our materialistic culture, our worldview leads us to be largely oblivious to it. I mean, when's the last time you heard the news credit the devil with something evil that you found in our world? Friends, our ultimate enemy is the devil along with his demons.
The second thing that 1 John 3 8 tells us is we need to be aware of what the devil's work is so that we can stand against it and avoid participating in it. You know, we have three other New Testament letters that speak to the devil's works in our world. In James 4 7, we're told to resist the devil and he will flee. And the context here is man's pride, our adulterous ways. Resisting the devil, it means humbling ourselves and confessing our sins to God. Since the devil promised that you will be like God, we have to now fight against pride in our life. You see, we are born to sympathy with the devil, as Mick Jagger noted. In 1 Peter in chapter 5, verse 8, we read, Our enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This letter, 1 Peter, is all about Christian suffering and how we're to understand its presence in our world. Wherever you see violence against humanity, particularly Christians, we can know that this is the work of the devil. And in Ephesians 6.11, we read that we must put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. In Ephesians, the devil is shown to be a schemer, a liar, a cosmic evil who fills the atmosphere with a fog of lies so you're unable to see God's truth anymore. I sense that this is probably the most evident and obvious work of the devil in our day. And it was his work from the beginning. Jesus says to the devil in John 8:44, When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Jesus adds the devil was a murderer from the beginning. So friends, we're going to spend some time considering who our enemy is and how he is at work in our day. If Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, as those in Christ, let us participate in that. So let's plan on making evident to a hurting world that we are children of God by understanding and exposing the lies of the devil. And the very first thing I want to encourage you to do is to spend some extra time in prayer bringing the powers of heaven to bear on our hurting world. Thomas Brooks said, Prayer is a shelter to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to the devil. David's heart was often more out of tune than his harp. He prays and then, in spite of the devil, cries, Return unto your rest, O my soul. Prayer is the gate of heaven, a key to let us into paradise. There is nothing that renders Satan's plots fruitless like prayer. Therefore Christ says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Matthew 26, 41 My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to.